This is uh, The Dot Matrix. I'm Justin. And I'm Sean. And it's episode 51. We were funny. We were debating before we press record. Who started last time? Well, if you can remember who started it last time since it was way back in June, then sorry for the repetitiveness if it was me, whoever out there is listening. But uh, I'm assuming no one will remember who started it last time. Yeah, not even we do. I can't even believe it's been since June. (laughs) Yeah, I think June, it was... Yeah, late June. Okay, at least it was late June. Yeah. <laughs> what is that, six months ago? It is, yeah. 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 And we, well, we almost did last week. That's And we true. almost did, I think, in October or something. <laughs> <laughs> if I recall correctly. I remember <laughs> wanting to do it, like we had talked about it. Right. But we lead such busy lives. I, well, it's right? true. It's very true. <laughs> it's good, you made a note about Air Parrot. Very awesome. Yes, there. and I've made it up to myself that it's not about the podcast, but it's to look up for later. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, and everyone listening is like, we have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and we're not going to tell you either. You can Google that one. <laughs> so it's, what, December 27th, the day after Boxing Day. So, yes. Merry Post, or belated Merry Christmas to everyone out there. So how was your holidays? How's your Christmas so far? We uh, talked already, but tell the world out there that the 24 people who stream us every so often, how was your holidays? Yeah, holidays uh, have been great. Um, they're usually great. Um, of course, I'm pretty gung-ho about Christmas. You know that. A lot of people we know know that. Christmas, Christmas, Christmas! It's all Christmas, Christmas music, decorations, the tree, you name it. Family time. I like family time at Christmas. I like getting together with the fam. Um, it was good. That's uh, such a controversial point of view, Sean. <laughs> I know, I know, the fam damnly, but uh, it was good. Uh, Christmas Eve, uh, as I mentioned, we had uh, Elaine's brother and, and his wife Claire over. Um, and a beautiful roast goose, was it? Roast goose. I saw, yep. the, I thought, I saw the food porn photo stream online. Yeah, that was a, a great stream. Well, Brooks and Karen, who are also there, um, Brooks, that was courtesy of Brooks the Goose. And uh, it was Elaine's first time uh, making that. Um, and Karen uh, helped with the Yorkshire pudding. It was very British. Yeah, I saw affair. the Yorkshire pudding. I was like, good on you guys. Yeah. Yorkshire pudding. Oh, it was fabulous. It was it was the way to, way to be. It really was. <laughs> I was making whiskey cocktails, the penicillin cocktail, which, of course, I tried for the first time at Diamond in Gastown. Uh, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Uh so that was good, and Christmas Day, uh, Elaine and I went to see The Hobbit, mm-hmm. and again, we had dinner with Phyllis and Claire, we had pho, and mm-hmm. uh, that was yummy, and then Boxing Day, it was at my aunt's house, our family was there, so that was a good time, and here we are today, so that's kind of the, the pretty much the big recap, but it was, it's been a great holiday, so. Nice. And it still continues, because we're off till, we're, we're back at work on Monday the 7th. Yeah, slackers. I know. <laughs> Uh, yes, well, our boss gets special mention for, uh, uh, always, uh, shutting down, uh, work for a couple weeks, uh, which is great, and he's very good to us that way. Uh, so, yeah, um, we are just gonna go into full chill mode, 
and uh, enjoy the rest of the holidays before we go back, which will be busy when we get back. So nice, nice. How about yourself? Good. Yeah, it was um kind of a Plan B Christmas as as you know as we were chatting on the phone the other day. Um, spent a lot with my dad, which is really great, and um, yeah, it's funny because. Usually Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, we don't do any cooking in our family because we're always out in a relative's house. And we, well, we do, like, we contribute to a potluck, right? But it's not like cooking the big turkey or anything. Like, don't then do a big meal. And, um, and which means we never, ever eat in a restaurant or take food out or whatever because we're always eating brunch and then having Christmas dinner and all that sort of stuff. It just sort of works out. But the last couple of years, like, we've had Vietnamese food for Christmas Day. Like, last year, my brother and his <laughs> uh, kids were sick. Yeah. The whole family was sick. And so every, all our schedule were through, thrown for a loop. And we ended up at a faux place on Kingsway getting faux on Christmas Day, which is the... We've never, ever eaten out on Christmas Day, ever. It's the first time ever last year. Wow. And so this year, um, they got sick again. And we were smarter. We... We made them tell us whether or not they were going to do it or, or not do Christmas and Christmas Eve. And they said, no, no, we're not going to do it. Which is good because they ended up getting worse on Christmas Day and instead of getting better. Oh, wow. And so we had a whole big plan B figured out. And yeah, we just took out Vietnamese. We didn't do pho because we had just had pho, my sister and I, the other day. So uh, but we took out Vietnamese, just like, you know, lemongrass chicken, you know. Oh, yeah. Beef and yeah. and um, sat there. And my with my dad at his home on Christmas evening and just hung out, chilled for like three hours, uh, like really long extended visit, watching the Blue Jays uh, play the first game one of the 92 World Series. Wow. It was so nostalgic. I loved it. It was so much fun. Oh, yeah. that's good. So it was a really nice Christmas day. Awesome. And then Boxing Day, as I always try to avoid Boxing Day shopping. Yeah. Something always draws me back. <laughs> you know, last year I was uh, visiting my dad on Boxing Day and then ended up just walking around West Forth. This year I was also visiting my dad on Boxing Day morning and then I walked along West Forth as well, bought yeah. rain boots that weren't even on sale. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Mark Mark wow. Warehouse. And then I ended up getting like Christmas cards for next year because I've been. As you know, I've been a bit off Christmas cards lately because single man doing Christmas cards is a very sad thing. And um, but uh, I bought Christmas cards. At least I have them in case um, I decide to do them next year. So got those. And then I met up with uh, my our uh, friend Chalisha, but she was in town from Calgary, and we ended up doing a lot of shopping along West Fort. Uh, oh, sorry, South Granville. Okay. And, a, and that West Elm store, have you been to that West Elm store? Um, I don't know if I've been inside, but... Yeah, I didn't even know about it until I saw it. I was somehow streamed on Facebook, and then I ended up liking it on Facebook. Huh. And then I realized it has a store here. I'm like, oh, how did I? How did that all kind of converge? Probably Mark Zuckerberg had some strategic <laughs> thing on, on the app or something. Don't ask his sister. She has no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but I ended up buying, I think... I bought four dining room chairs from West Elm. You think you did? <laughs> my sister's like, what do you mean you think you did? Well, they had this thing on Boxing Day where it wasn't certain items were on sale, but if you buy X amount of dollars, like $100, you get like 10% off. Okay. $200 or more, 15 $500 or more, 20% off, and then $1,000 or more, it's whatever. And I see these chairs, these dining room chairs, which are really nice. Uh, and they're like 180 bucks each. Okay. It's not cheap, but not crazy expensive. Yeah. Uh, but I'm just, I'm, 
I keep my mantra these days is I'm 30 fucking five and I don't want to sit on plasticky Ikea $25 chairs that I'm going to sit at a dining room table. For like, sure. It's, it's, it's not on anymore. I don't want to do it. Yeah, and so, yeah. and so I've been looking for these chairs. Um, <laughs> and if Lloyd, I don't know if Lloyd listens to our podcast, but if he does, he's like, he was talking about buying chairs for a dining room table a year ago. <laughs> so I've been thinking about this for a year. And there they were. And if I bought four of them, I could get them for 20% off. So it would have saved $143. And I'm like, well, it's almost a chair. So I'm like, that's not a bad deal. Right. And But they only had two in stock and they were back ordered. And the woman was really helpful and she really looked it up. And and so she's, I have my name and number and she's, I've left it with her. And they will honor the 20% off deal. So, but they need to call me whenever the, the back order is, is, uh, is uh, ready to be filled and that way uh, give me a sense of how long I'm going to have to wait for it but if it's like you know if they don't call me like eight weeks from now or whatever then I'm like okay maybe do I still want it you know whatever right but if they call me soon and, and I can get it like in a couple of weeks then I'm like for sure I'll get it right so, yeah. so that's that's the if part <laughs> but I think I got I sat in it for quite a while and nice huh nice that's cool we'll have to podcast maybe uh, at my place one of the next times and you can sit on the chair yeah good <laughs> yeah we should we'll, we'll alternate more but we did it last couple at your place i think something like that yeah well yeah. When, when we alternate when we only do two podcasts a year it's, <laughs> it's <hard laughs> to alternate. no i got concerned all of a sudden because our uh you know we have time machine backups and stuff right on, oh right yeah and it just went and i some you know that usually pauses what we're doing on on uh the computer like, like internet sometimes and then it goes fine so and it went off and it's still going but i'm actually just going to um stop backing stop up stop backing up just in case well the beauty of live to tape podcasts <laughs> i know because we ain't editing this magic out <laughs> well that's the th- yeah we're not going to edit anything i think that will hopefully help um Okay, cool. Okay, so let's talk about, this is, you know, a strategic time in the year. We, Whenever we even, you know, slack so badly as only doing two po- podcasts a year, we typically do try to do one at the end of the year. And we have well-timed now. So yeah. you've scribbled onto a piece <laughs> of physical paper. Um, so old school. I know. A bunch of topics. And uh, and it's nice to sort of, yes, to take this, I think, use this podcast to think about the year and yeah um, you know, what else what the year in the world but the year i guess for us too and and um yeah so what what's what's on your list that you want to talk about that's jumping out at you well i jotted down a few things there's definitely a couple things i want to mention um uh and there's others that i thought you know we might mention but we don't need to go into detail because i think it's uh some there's some pretty crazy stuff that happened this past year Ugh. 2012 is crazy year. Yeah. You know, I think every year is kind of like that, but this, I think, was especially this is particu- Particularly fucked up? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, but one interesting, cool thing that I think actually didn't get as much press as I thought it would. Like, it was a big thing that day, but I, I actually don't think it was as big as it should have been, which was, and you saw me drawing down notes on it, um, this guy who did the space dive. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, so that's what you're looking at. Okay, yeah. yeah. So this, this Austrian skydiver, Felix Baumgartner, dove from the edge of space, like literally just on the cusp of space. Right. Well, I thought that was back in October. I thought that was pretty amazing. Like, no one's really done that. And it was big news that day because it was like, well, you know, how fast is he going to go? Is he going to survive? That was kind of the big question. Right. But he ended up breaking the sound barrier, which no one had done. Mm. And that's, uh, I wrote down specifically here, uh, I don't know what exactly the sound barrier is, but he went as fast as 833.9 miles an hour, which wow. is ridiculous. Like, that's ridiculous fast. So, um... I thought that was really cool because it's all done live. It was streaming on, you know, YouTube or something like that. And there he is, just sitting on the edge of space. So what got him up there? Was it, like, some sort of ship? I get some sort of plane of some kind? Like, or how did he get up there? Um, it wasn't like a, like a big rocket or anything. Um. I'm not sure, to be honest, hmm. because when we first started watching it, he was already up there. Right. We hadn't um, been watching him, like, go up, so right. I don't really know much about But he about jumped it. off. He jumped was a out. capsule. It was a capsule? Yeah. Oh, okay. So something brought his capsule up, up there. there. He okay. jumped out of it. Okay. Um, oh. And it was cool, because they'd, they'd show him up there, they showed families watching, and they showed the guy that he was doing this back and forth with, like... He had to do like over a hundred tests once he was up there. And he's sitting in his chair. They check everything, like okay, all the things that he's attached to his oxygen tank. Right. Once once he um, lets go of his oxygen that's fed to him from the capsule, he has a certain amount of supply on him, and I think he has like up to nine minutes to use it. So he has once he disengages from the capsule and he's standing there ready to jump. Yeah, he has about. Nine minutes before he's out of oxygen. Right. So he has to jump pretty fast. And he's got to get back to the atmosphere in that time so that way he can just breathe normally. Right? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, you know, there's, there's a few, it yeah. only takes a few minutes to fall down to earth. Okay. But you got to be like, okay, I got to do this because I have to have that pad, right? Right. And so that, that capsule then is, you know, I think he's jumping from the edge of, because I never saw this. I just saw, like, probably, I was one of the people who didn't get. To who who didn't benefit from the coverage that it could have had, right? Right. And I just maybe maybe saw like a ticker or something. Yeah, right? so that's the right? thing. Yeah. So it's, it is. I mean, you think about it, it's quite amazing and stunning. And I guess we're just so. You know, people say we're we're numb to violence because of so much violence yeah. on television. Maybe we're numb to innovation now because it just every it, like, it changes so quickly. We're so every something always brand new, right? But so so I guess if he's jumping from from that at, from the space for the atmosphere uh, whatever the horizon is so that capsule is in orbit then yeah okay so the capsule's not falling but the capsule is actually in orbit right so he's he's oh. just sitting there floating so and so he's got but he but it's not high enough that he'd be floating in space cuz he right. fell yeah so that's fascinating so it's like, just on the edge of space so that's where there's still gravity that's, like a slight bit. That's very scientific, eh? To try to to make sure you just get there, you yeah. know, like that. Even the fact that he's standing, or he that capsule is in that tenuous space between space and sky, right, is quite something. 
That's pretty cool. And that was the beauty of it, because it, it's up there, and you see the Earth, and you see the, the, like, the black beyond the horizon, so it's far enough where it looks like he's in space, right. although he's not quite there. And oh. he, he pulls out the things he's attached to, he gets stands up, stands on the edge, and then he's like, okay, I'm going to jump. <laughs> and then he just kind of falls. <laughs> he just falls out of it. Oh. And he starts spinning like mad. And they say that um, you, he, uh, if he doesn't come out of that spin by a certain time to release his parachute, then he'll die. Wow. And he almost passed out spinning so much. Because you Ooh. have to get into this thing where you just spread your arms and legs and you're just facing down falling. Yeah. He started that way, but then going through the atmosphere, he started to spin, rock around, and everyone's like, like Elaine and I were like on the edge of our seats. We're watching this online. And we're freaking out because we're like... So you watch it online live or just online? Online live. Live, wow. So it was quite enthralling. I mean, it's not... I wouldn't compare it to people watching those guys go to the moon the first time in 1969, but but it was kind of like our version of that in a way. That's how it felt to me watching. Well, I remember watching that. I mean, I was raving about that crazy stunt about that guy high wire over the Niagara Falls thing. And that was so cheesy and so commercial. <laughs> and it was on, like, network television. And, and I was, like, oh, staring at it. Like, not <laughs> wanting to buy into it. But then when you see just that pounding of the water and dripping against the wire, you're like, no, this is pretty impressive. Um, but this is even that, like, to, like, the umpteen scale. He's like, it's going oh, yeah. from space. What's his name again? Felix, Felix. Baumgartner. Okay. So we'll post a link on that. Yeah, I was going to say. I'm sure there's like a YouTube, you know, quick two-minute thing. Yeah, totally. So yeah, and then he straightened out, got his parachute going, and he was alert. Like, he was like, he was a little out of it, but he was like, okay, I'm still with it, you know? And, and he just dropped down lightly and just started, he just, beautiful, perfect landing. Didn't even roll. He just started walking on the earth but he just Jeez. just kept, it was like almost like coming off like a hang glide like he just so where did he land uh I th- oh i think it was new mexico new mexico yeah oh, okay i believe i mean I- i'm probably crazy inaccurate but i believe it was new mexico it was a southern state like that Interesting. so yeah it was it perfectly it went perfect like it went the best way possible but he's not he doesn't he wasn't necessarily wearing a whole space like yes. an astronaut suit was he he it, he was, it was he, he had it some... was um okay. virtually a space suit. right like when you see the footage like he had the big thing on his okay. head and he's all like interesting yeah he looked like he was in, like a, an astronaut okay um it was great so that for me that was that was a, a big moment of the last year that I thought deserved <sighs> even more attention that it's almost like Sorry, the backup made a noise, but I think we're fine. Anyway, sorry. Uh, I'll wrap this up. But yeah, basically, um, and, you know, of all the craziness and the desperation and all this crazy stuff that happened in the past year, I thought that's what, that was worth kind of mentioning that was actually something cool and fun and good. Wow, I feel completely ill-prepared for this <laughs> podcast. Because I keep thinking, well, what would be my big thing of 2012 that's awe-inspiring and because yeah there's a lot of shit that happened this year like a lot of violence a lot of shootings a lot of yeah you know and a, you know relatively good discourse from that although i don't know a constructive contribution which means 
policeman and police person in every school is maybe not constructive. But anyways, uh, Jeez, I know. I I struggle to wonder what would be my big thing. Uh, yeah, hmm. I don't know. I don't know what would be a really cool something that made me in twenty twelve go, huh? Like oh, in a kind of a wow, that's that was, interesting yeah. or that's. Yeah. That's different. Uh... Hmm. As we keep talking, maybe something will come to me. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, uh, okay. But yeah, I, but that's really cool. I'm glad you brought that up. Well, the other thing uh, I thought that you know we could touch on, of course, we don't have to go crazy into it because it obviously is a huge news item. Is obviously the U.S. election. Yes. Because we had not podcasted about it. Um, we well, actually right. Wanted... We were we were going we to were podcast, going to. and I think right. that's why I thought October, but it was actually November. November. That's right. And, you know, maybe in four years' time, we'll get it together to actually live cast that bitch. Oh, yeah, but... <laughs> when, we, when we see Hillary Clinton. Uh... That's right. Oh, she'll run. <laughs> of course she's going <laughs> to run. Even New Gingrich says she'll mop the floor with the Republicans if she runs. Like, the, the Republicans stand no chance if she runs. Because she's, she's a Democrat, yet she's kind of, I dare say, a, a hawkish democrat right and i think they would take her seriously like the the republicans would take her seriously if she was in power because she was such a great secretary of state uh, over a hundred countries yes were dying to meet with her in her last months you know when <laughs> yeah she signs off a reunion or her farewell tour or whatever well you think you know You're rock star the next four years of john Kerry will help show how cool Clinton was, and, oh, yeah. you know. I mean, not. I mean, John Kerry will probably do a really good job, but John Kerry's still John Kerry. Yeah. <laughs> you At know? the end of the day, he's still John Kerry. Yeah. So I mean, he'll do great, but he won't. Like it's funny because when you think about Hillary Clinton, you know, no one really would call Hillary Clinton cool, but after these four years, and if all those like online memes of her like on her blackberry and her sunglasses <laughs> and you know let's do this bitch or whatever yeah. like all the different things that are that their captions for that photo yeah so um like she has somehow been able to just really turn this uh herself around into being this transcendent cool senior states person who yeah you can't imagine well, I mean, you never know, knock on wood, anything could happen in the next couple of years before she starts to, to plot her course for this. But, like, in terms of the some amazing Southern Republican guy might come up or something. Who knows, right? But, Who knows? Or Jeb. Yeah. <laughs> Jeb might be their only answer, because apparently he's the smart bush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he is, actually. I mean, you think, like, I've seen him in interviews. and Yeah, he's a little better right he he actually understands the issues sure sure <laughs> and they're saying like oh his wife hispanic so he's definitely more and but i mean that aside he actually understands the issues of immigration better yeah. from what from what you can hear in, in interviews so yeah it would be an interesting i mean jeb bush clinton would be kind of like a throwback election from like the 90s but at the same time pretty interesting to see <clears throat> Excuse me. I agree. I think that would be an interesting matchup. So we'll soon see. I mean, there's so much we could rehash about the election. I think it's just safe to say that you know, it, it was it was fun watching it. Um, obviously, we got the outcome we wanted. Yeah, you were uh, tweeting like a mofo. Yeah, I started Twitter just the day of or the day before <laughs> or something just to get ready, and I'm still not you know, 
the Twitter for the band is cool to do. Sure. It's been really useful, in fact. Um, but for me personally, I haven't really gotten on in the rhythm of using Twitter on a daily basis. Like, I, I just think it, God, it's just a, a lot of time, like, looking at these little tweets that I... When I look at a tweet, well, you're you're I'm like what what is you're good saying? with Instagram, so just post your Instagram on Twitter at the same time, so that way you keep your activity going. That's what I do. Yeah, and I heard it's not that easy because of the the rival thing. Is it uh, easy to do? It's it's easy to do. It's just you know before uh, the latest changeover, your Instagram photo you know comes onto your Facebook newsfeed like seamlessly, as if you had posted it on Facebook. Sure. And, and same thing on Twitter until the last update. And then now the Instagram photo comes up as a link. So you got to click the link to see the photo. So oh. that's the only difference. Oh, but but okay. when you're on Instagram, you take a photo of, let's say, a doggle, for instance. <laughs> and um, Which I did yesterday. And then you, it's, and you, at the bottom, you can actually say you can, you can post it on Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr and there's a couple of other options. So you can still just press that button and it will just, you know, tweet it at the same time as you're posting it on Instagram. So it seamlessly does that. It just for the user seeing if I was seeing your Instagram photo, I'd have to click a link instead of just seeing the photo in oh, my streaming okay. on my on my Twitter feed. So that's the only difference. Oh, well, that's good yeah. for me to know. Yeah, because maybe I'll just start using it for photos or something. But but I had my first ever tweet from someone i didn't know oh really today like, tweeted at me at you okay yes yeah, so i keep thinking of twitter as sort of this kind of quasi public but not public text messaging service basically like i've been sort of tweeting at people and vice versa and sure. we're just having conversations but i tweeted an instagram photo of the game three of the world series today because i was watching it and they were re replaying it on sportsnet and they have Anne murray sing the national anthem oh right i saw that yeah and that's like to me and it, it, it truly is and that's why i said on my on my little caption for the photo i said that's a, a reminder of why this is the moment when i when i became an Anne murray fan because she sang the anthem and the whole fifty-one thousand people in sky dome sings oh canada i had never heard that before right you know, and there's a whole upside down flag the game before so everyone was like really heightened patriotism that day right so all of that right and, and i was like wow it's so like posted that photo and i said thanks sportsnet for reminding me why when the moment i became an Anne Marie fan right and then someone tweets at me and says you know at happy xs um thanks for mentioning her we don't get to hear much about her up here down here in the u.s can you post the post oh. that on youtube when I have no idea how to post it on YouTube. <laughs> to, yeah. Because I, I PVR'd it, but I have no idea how to get something out of the, from my PVR to actually onto a oh. digital file to post it onto YouTube. Yeah, yeah. I have no idea. It's probably not hard, but I'm just... Yeah, I don't know how to do that either. <laughs> and so, uh, but I was, first of all, I was thinking, what is this woman talking about? What? I didn't quite yeah. get it. And then I'm like, oh, she's talking about my Anne Murray thing. So someone I had no idea who it was. That's really cool. Tweeted at me. Oh, so, that's Twitter for you. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so someone out there has Anne Murray as a saved uh, hashtag or something. So whenever someone says anything about Anne Murray, it comes up. Well, one interesting way that you know it's really been cool for our band is that like one quick example is like you know we did this show at the Electric Owl a couple weeks ago, and or a week ago uh, tomorrow and. 
Yeah, we were just opening up for another band, um, Gold in Youth, uh, which is a band that Louise Burns is in. And, uh, you know, it was we, we did a quick set and stuff, and it kind of came up all of a sudden, so we were just trying to practice to get it right. And, um, and we get this, uh, this tweet uh, from this person from, from around town that just said, Oh, I'm really excited about your show. I'm glad you guys are playing. And he, he, he's like, uh, he like writes internet code or something, you know, he's like this code guy. And I was like, just out of nowhere, he just tweets to us, hey, really excited. And I, thought, I was like, oh, that's really cool. So you can just tweet back. And so I wrote back and said, hey, yeah, we're excited. You are excited, you know, we'll, we'll uh, right. hopefully see you there. So stuff like that. Um, I think it's, it's in that, that uh, actually happened quite a bit when we were in Europe. And when we were in the States, people would find out we're coming, people we don't know. And so it gives us a chance to actually uh, communicate with these people. Mm. And even if it's just like a couple of people, you know, if that's two people that, you know, hopefully had a good time and liked what they saw, right? That's always kind of gets you pumped a bit. Sure. You know, why not, right? So uh, that's that's one really cool thing about Twitter. Uh, more than any other social media that i can think of that really works in the way it should that way right so yeah so um maybe i'll get into twitter more this year and before we finish our cast i i, I want to get through some predictions okay and i also want to talk about resolutions okay so that might be uh, a, a resolution um for me <laughs> to use Twitter more. I'll just say now, but we'll, we'll okay. talk about it at the end. But Okay. Uh, so, I mean, there was, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, some craziness, as we mentioned, happened past year. The Sandy Hook shooting in Connecticut. Yes. There all those children and those uh, six adults that died. Um, Hurricane Sandy. You know what I find really interesting about that? Um, yeah. I mean, it's horrific generally in everything and, and all yeah. that sort of stuff. And, uh, and, just seeing the NRA guy on Meet the Press on Sunday, oh my god, that interview was so disturbing. But anyways, yeah. um, what I find interesting is that, you know, obviously, you know, the, the shooter had a lot of issues, and yeah. it's not that hard, and many conversations in these similar kinds of events, you know, talk about, well, the upbringing, the parents, and that sort of stuff, but the mother was the first victim, and mm-hmm. and and not I haven't seen any story or any inclination about questioning. I mean, they questioned the mother around sort of well, she was a gun. Fan. They they talk about it, a matter of fact that she was a gun fan, uh, fan, and she had legally had these guns and all these different things. Um, but they talked about it very factually. They don't, and a lot of times in similar circumstances, they talk. Sometimes there's a blame game. And parents are involved, but it hasn't happened here. And they, and they, they, res- they respect this woman's life, and they, and they show her. Um, hello, hey Dexter. Uh, Our dog, my dog Dexter, just just came in to say hello. But please continue. And uh, and so they they recognize her as one of the victims. They show her name in memoriam, like they do any other name. And so yeah. I'm. And finding that helpful, like it just yeah. uh, you know, not not helpful in terms of processing it, but just as a 
like I'm glad that people haven't gone down that road mm-hmm. uh, because I mean how helpful is that really to go down that road about what an individual mother had as her relationship or her history or the trouble she had raising her two sons I mean there's a little bit of that comes out mm-hmm. uh, but to dissect it in a way that leans down a road to blame sure uh, I'm glad they haven't done it this time sure I, I think that's a good point. I saw an article on Huffington Post about that, or a commentary article, blogger, whatever she, who's saying, let's not go there, right? Yeah. So I, you know, I remember uh, watching the morning news before work that day, and they said, oh, breaking news. It was like 8 o'clock in the morning or something. And, uh, we don't know much yet, but there's been a shooting at a school in Connecticut. And at that point, I thought, oh, well, hopefully, you know, just a, a quick shooting no one actually died i hope you know the guy offed himself and was done you know but it turned out to be one of the worst massacres in history and which was really just so heart-wrenching um yeah i mean i don't know what else to say other than i just hope that if anything can come out of this like any positive is that uh there's finally some uh far-reaching gun control in the states that comes out of this, whether it's a year from now, five years from now, or ten years from now, I don't know. I think we might be kidding ourselves a bit, but, I mean, they want to deport Piers Morgan over this, you know, over his comments. (laughs) Who's the uh, guy on CNN, one of the CNN interview guys. I think, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen, but I hope there's at least some constructive dialogue. I mean, one of their presidents was almost assassinated by a gun and others mortally wounded and you know uh wounded for life and they in and over 30 years ago and they they still love their guns i don't know what it's going to take i don't know if 26 uh, 20 children is is going to be it hopefully (laughs) there's some real movement now i don't know but that's pretty much all i i could think of to say about that but i thought it was worth mentioning just because it was sure you know, we have to mention the good and the bad, but sure. that was one of the worst things uh, among many uh, that happened this year. Um, so yeah, I don't know if, if there's any other things that, some big monumental events that you'd like to recap. What's your take on the whole um, Australian DJs and oh, yeah. the Kate Middleton pregnancy yeah. and uh, and the 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 in the end one of the nurses committing suicide because of it like what's your take on that i've never asked you this actually no we haven't actually the one of the few things we haven't actually talked about uh in person um you know what it's i'm I'm glad you brought that up because a lot of people have different things to say i here's what i think about it and i'll try and approach this in a delicate way obviously it's a huge tragedy it's the it was the woman who took the call originally, not that the, the second, one that's yeah. on tape. You know, talking oh, about retching and talking about yeah, hydrated that sort of thing. Yeah. I'll put it this way, it's of course you know. I think it's easy to blame the DJs. I think yes, you know I don't know what's up with radio pranks. Apparently, radio station pranks happen all the time, and. Is this what we have to do to get people to listen to the radio, I guess? 
I was surprised, like, people still listen to the radio. Even, like, <laughs> our radio stations are like, okay, we're not going to do pranks for a while. But my whole thing is, you know, uh, it's a little bit much to be, like, sending hate mail to the DJs when a lot of us, I admittedly was, like, when I saw the news piece, when it first happened before the woman died, I was like, oh, my God, like... How could that woman be fooled by these two with these awful accents? You know right. what I mean? Right. And I kept thinking, oh, what an idiot, you know? I hate to say it, but I kept, I was, sure. I was an ass about it in my head. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this. Like, right. But to just turn around once the, the, the woman who took the call is probably uh, embarrassed all the hell. And then to just immediately be like, take him off the air, you know, just to, to shift gears all of a sudden and be like, that was the most awful thing that happened. We weren't all thinking that when it actually happened. Right. Like, we weren't thinking, that's really cruel right. of them to do before the woman passed away, but after the woman passes away, yeah. it's it's the most awful thing that's ever happened all of a sudden. That I had a little trouble with. Right. Because it's like, come on, let's get real here. You know, yeah. I, 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 there might be a better way of explaining what I'm explaining, but that's the only way I can explain it. No, and I, and I, I it's, it's sort of like, um, it's kind of like that classic scene in Cla Casablanca where Captain Renault gambles all the time in Rick's cafe, you know, he knows it's going on and then suddenly he's like, I'm shocked to know there's gambling just as a reason to shut it right, down, right? right? And then it close the scene ends so beautifully with the clerk coming, here's your winning, sir. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> Shut yeah. this down. And so when it serves a purpose, people's... It's it, it's a, the mob mentality in its worst form, I think. Yes. Coming out in the current digital age. Yeah. Uh, so I agree with you completely in that sort of thing. Because when I first saw it, I was very much like, oh... That's an odd... That's like one of those odd stories you see at the end of the newscast, right? Yes. And, um... And, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, yes, it was horrible. So, I think... I don't think anyone, after all this happens, could ever think that those DJs thought that this could happen, of right? Of course. And, and so, you know, they're completely remorseful, and, you know, I think you have to be very sensitive and that sort of thing. Um, and, and, uh, and so they should be off the air, you know, obviously. And, uh... I think there is something to be, for me, I think it's, it's what's going to happen. I think it's more like, it's a product of global, of, of the connected globalized world that we live in, because I think in a Western society, these things happen all the time. Western radio, these pranks happen. People are calling people all the time and pretending to have accents and whatever. And, you know, and it was pretty bad accent and, and everything, but with, you know, so Canadians and Americans and, you know, British and, you know, with that sensitive sensibility, it's totally fine. It's of a cultural norm, uh, even in the dining form of commercial radio. Um, yeah. But, you know, some other cultures that, that either through, you know, when you think about immigration, connectedness with YouTube and all these other things, you know, where, where much more cultures who have histories of not that... <laughs> are now interacting with us in because they are people immigrate here and they have a different background, different history where, you know, that they're not used to that sort of thing. 
And so you really have to not assume that everyone has the same sensitivity sensibilities as you do, right? Yeah. Like, you could embarrass... Like, if it happened to me, I'd be like, oh, God, I'd be really embarrassed. And I'd be like, oh, how could I fall for that? But I would move on because I'm used... to. That's part of the fabric of the kind of gotcha culture we have, right? That's right, yeah. Um, but someone else could easily get that same phone call, which this nurse did, mm-hmm. and doesn't have that background. That's that right. isn't part of her culture. And it was a real shame, shaming sure. thing. Sure. And which leads to a different consequence. Yeah. Um, and so I think, yes, in the, in the real sense, DJs couldn't uh, predict that result. But I think over time, in the next generation or so, that's not going to be an excuse anymore. Mm-hmm. I think we are too connected and the world are starting to be much more open to each other that we cannot assume that everyone has the same sen- sensibilities as we do, is sure. what I think. No, that's a really, uh, that's a, a profound point. Um, I, I like to be profound. No, I think, <laughs> no, that's very well said. I, I think we have to think about that, because obviously, whereas, yeah, I, I mean, I won't just repeat what you just said, but I think whereas, you know, we, another person might kind of, la- you know, be embarrassed for a few days, laugh it off, and be like, okay, well, I, you know, but, there's others who are obviously going to be more sensitive to that type of thing. Because um, I think oh, yeah. one or two generations, you know, next generation just can't be an excuse. But I think probably like three, four, five generations from now, yeah. that's it'll be a whole different thing. Where I think it'll be there'll be some monolithic world culture that will sort of merge some sensitivities together and and so forth and. Yeah. Uh, Oh, I keep thinking about where I was listening to this. It was talking about... Oh, I was watching a uh, No Reservation, Anthony Bourdain. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he was in Macau. And, okay. Uh, which, I mean, I was there on my trip. So I kind of went to see the what I missed. I was only there for the day. And uh, and he was talking about Macanese culture and Macanese food because it's Portugal plus Asia and everything all kind of... Which is very different from, let's say, British and Hong Kong, right? And he said, you know, and eventually everyone's going to look like people from Macau and people from, like, Singapore and that, that part of Asia where it's much more just mixing of cultures. And this one woman who's, like, a chef there and uh, has written cookbooks on Macanese food was saying, yeah, I mean, people talk about globalization. Macau has been a, a representation of globalization for, for centuries, you know, because of the whole Portuguese-Asian influence together. Cool. Um so I think, yeah, eventually we're all going to, there's not going to, like, this is going to be generations, generations, like millennia from now, you know, we'll have, the cultures will start to blend, but then we'll also start to, like, skin color will become much more irrelevant mm-hmm. because we'll all sort of procreate and yeah. with different races and it's just all going to sort of come together. And, you know, that's probably not a bad thing. Oh, I don't, I don't think so. I think that's inevitability um what else on your list well uh i was (laughs) i don't mean to be like all like dark and stuff hey no no um, you started with the skydiving that's that was really profoundly positive so oh hi dexter dexter's back i know buddy you're waiting for your dinner it's just it's just defrosting (laughs) now don't get slobber on justin he's allergic to you (laughs) don't get it on his ipad hey you're okay boy don't worry Oh. He's all like, I hear all this chatter, but 
the limitations of the podcast format, you know, we can't. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna make a note of the time code. Okay, I was like 43 minutes and 40 seconds, so I can show you later. That's so funny. He does that a lot. He's a 13 year old dog, and he he often hacks away like that, like old coughs. Um, His version of an old man smoker's cough. Yeah. Nice. Uh, actually, you know, it's it's bad, but it's you know, there's it's well, I'll just say it. Um, yeah, just say it. Uh, there's a couple of peop- uh, musicians who passed away this year that I was going to bring mm. up. Um, one was Dave Brubeck. And yes, other... my timeout is missing. I have no idea where my CD oh, is. Oh, really? I'll just send you the, the tracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, can you do that? Of that course, would be great yeah. because I would love that. Yeah, <laughs> well, I'll send them. To and... Perfect. Yeah, I'll send them to you. Um, we will post a link to, yes. uh, obviously, something from Time Out, which is his seminal album from yes. 1959 uh and the other musician uh is ravi shankar yes ravi shankar so uh it's uh, one thing i found interesting about these two is such innovators obviously in their own field uh they grew back in jazz uh and especially with the uh, uh kind of the architect of really going for it with different time signatures uh, and rhythms, and I thought it was interesting that, you know, a week or so later that, you know, Ravi Shankar passes away, and he was also innovative, obviously, with uh, Indian music, uh, with his sitar, and, uh, you know, the ragas, so these pieces of music with um, also very intricate uh, rhythm and time signatures, and... Um, they were actually almost the same age. Uh, Dave Brubeck was a day away from turning 92, and Ravi Shankar was 92. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, I th- there's just kind of parallels I noticed. Yeah. Um, well, you think about sort of Dave Brubeck, like you said, with the, like, opening the door in the musical realm of these different signatures and Ravi Shankar really opening the door of... Um, of a completely different Eastern sound to Western music. So yeah. they're definitely, yeah, trailblazers. I'll send you uh, a link to one, I think one of his most famous performances, which was at the Monterey Pop Festival in 1967, uh, because that event, uh, I mean, he had already started connecting with George Harrison from the Beatles, but that that performance was pretty, uh, pretty much a breakthrough for him for... Hmm. The states anyway uh and it's 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 i mean it was one of the coolest things of that whole festival which was like the first major rock festival and uh and then we'll post obviously some from rubeck um rubeck goes back for both you and i to mm. probably junior high because yeah i think that's probably when we both heard it yeah. uh so that Stunning. i mean to the time out album of course i'm talking about which has uh, Take 5 and Blue Rondo a la Turk, among others, the, the two famous ones. And um, I don't know. I think it's it's one of those albums you pull out maybe every few years and take a really good listen again. And then, you know, it's yeah. it's one of the most famous jazz albums ever recorded, obviously. Uh, obvious to, sorry, uh, uh, jazz lovers, uh, not to everybody, maybe. Um, but I really love it because the drumming is amazing. 
um, uh, among all the playing of the other the rest of the quartet but um for me it was a big drum record which is why i loved it um not just for take five which had the drum solo in five four time but also for blue rondo Turk because being in nine eight time it was actually it's like well what, what do you what do you play on nine eight time right right so that's the kind of cool thing. They kind of go into nine eight and go back into four four for you know little solos and stuff. But he just played really nice and delicately, and and I just I just love his approach to it. Whereas maybe some other bop drummers at the time would have been a little more heavy handed. Um. And he amazing brushwork on the album. I I, I should mention like if you listen to it headphones, it. Mm. I think it's a really good headphone album. <laughs> Neat. Uh, and then with Shankar, uh, I'll just say that, uh, you know, I had a few, I have a few vinyl records with his, of his, um, and one that I really like actually, which is, you know, not just straight Indian music, it's actually a collaboration with, um, it's from the early seventies and it's a collaboration with Andy Previn, the conductor, I think it's still with us. Anyway, um, Mia Farrow's ex-husband. Yes. Before Woody yes. Allen. Anyway, it's with the London Symphony Orchestra, I believe, and it's a it's a collaboration between like a concerto for sitar, I guess, and so it's an orchestra on on the looking at like the Western music with the sitar soloing, and it's a beautiful record. Like it's mm. it's it's an amazing recording, and uh, it's one that Eli and I like to listen to together. So. Mm. Uh, just things to mention about those two, uh, lifelong innovators and, um, uh, amazing music, obviously, even if you're, it's, it's music you can get into without being, you know, big into jazz or big into indie music. If you're just, it's, it's music for the music lover in general, I find. Right. It's, it's not like a specific pocket of right. music lovers. It's for everybody, which I think is right. the, the brilliant thing about those two, so. That's the end of my big thing, but I I I'd had to mention that. And I I I'm sure you you know you have uh, thoughts about well, that stuff. It, it's interesting because I think, I mean, we're coming at a point when you, when you think of when when someone and people like as profound as you know Brubeck and Ravi Shankar pass on, you think about sort of those moments that made them huge and. Uh, and and you, you kind of go through the the obituaries like you like you read up and, and you kind of realize, oh right of course like the Monterey Pop Festival or you know iconic moments like that and Brubeck and his college you know tour years and all right. that sort of stuff and 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 it's fascinating because you juxtapose that with let's say Psy and Gangnam Style and <laughs> and so how different the world is today and I keep thinking is it. Again, another symbol of globalization and technology where you know, can now crowdsource things uh, in terms of musical tastes and stuff and, and um, uh, versus like, you know, he never uh, has, like he didn't come and perform Gangnam Style on Saturday Night Live and suddenly everyone knew him. Right. He was at Saturday Night Live because his song had become so world success. Before that, right? You think of the Beatles coming to Ed Sullivan with, you know, or, or, you know, Elton John's first performance in Los Angeles or, you know, things right. like that. Like, those moments don't happen anymore. They no. happen online now. That's right. And, like, 
Justin Bieber does a little rendition of Call Me Maybe and suddenly it's the song of the summer. Yeah. Um, yep. And it is a catchy song. I I won't deny that. But sure. just... And I keep thinking, is it because of the, all those things or is it just because I'm 30 fucking five and it's not speaking to me and then I have to hear from it behind after the fact because I'm so much older now. You know what I mean? Like, right. I, I can't figure this one out, you know? Yeah. Almost like we're latecomers to yeah. these events that seem to happen and, and 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 i'm not attuned to when those big momentous things are happening yeah right. uh, because i'm hearing about them after that i'm not like so, like i didn't like if i was at the time and you you know it would be like wildfire everyone who's anyone would know about ravi shankar at monterey pop festival or something right and then like you're either it's because the music has changed and how the industry connects with people and music connects with individuals have changed or because we're just older now and we aren't as attuned. Like, it's probably a little bit of both, I think. <laughs> so I just was so pleased and relieved of myself when I was meeting someone in uh, in a residence uh, at my job at, at university. And there's a poster, this Gangnam Style. I'm like, oh yeah, do you know Gangnam Style? I'm like, yes, yes I do. <laughs> like, I had just seen that, that, Saturday Night Live, that Saturday Night Live clip where he actually appeared. Oh, okay. And I'm like, what the hell is this? And then I researched, I'm like, this is something big, and I just don't, I'm not cluing in, right? And so I looked it online, and then I'm like, yes, finally, I'm in the know. But that's just Justin being old, I think, <laughs> than then the changing landscape of music, which I think still has some pieces to that. Right. So just the, that juxtaposition of losing some great fundamental artists in the music world, and then what's happening today, it's just a, to me, that's what it brings out, a little bit of that, other than the immense respect for the for the artists that we've lost so anyways no nope, i hear you that's <laughs> that's a really good point it's like it's funny how it, it changes so fast even for us that it's like trying to keep up with this <laughs> sometimes i think you know the way that we kind of perceive that stuff will come back but but maybe not maybe that's just wishful thinking but <laughs> That's what the inventor of the eight track thought. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything else on your list before we make sure we get to predictions and resolutions before we hit the one hour mark of the um, podcast? Well, uh, no. I mean, the, the the next thing was we've got our poems and predictions yes. and resolutions. So maybe we can do poems and then end off with the predictions and resolutions. Okay. Uh, why don't you go first? Okay. Because I, I you have a really cool looking little book there. Who's, yes. going, who's going back old school now? You've got a book. Uh, you, you got it on your phone? I got mine on my phone. It's a great picture <laughs> of Dexter with that Santa hat, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> this is an interesting book. It's uh, I found this book of poetry only because I saw there's a movie that this was inspired. That This book of poetry inspired a movie called Love and Savagery. And I think I might have talked about Love and Savagery yeah. before. Uh, Canadian movie, Canadian poet Des Walsh. Uh, and the, the book actually reads like just a very mis- mishmash of different like kind of journal entry-esque kind of poems right. sure. from the mainly from the main character of the, the male main main character. Yeah. Uh, the movie I just thought was really well done and just about sort of this geologist poet and a woman who he meets in Ireland is the movie version. And okay. uh, and how he falls in love with her, but she's going to be a nun, and so it was on this path, and uh, and that the the intense love that he felt for her and her 
struggling because she felt the same, but was also committed to God and we won't get into the whole religion kind of thing. Right. But it was just a fascinating, wonderfully um, acted movie and the chemistry between the two actors was really good. And it's funny because the main actor, the the male lead mm-hmm. is in The Republic of Doyle. It's the main guy from there and I know how much you don't like that show and I don't mm-hmm. like that show either, but he was really good in this movie. So. Oh, that's, yeah. that's good to know. And so it's funny because I don't, and this poem that I will read, uh, it's, it's kind of funny because it actually they read it as part of the movie actually it oh, comes okay. in and they and right uh, and but in the book I can't quite tell because sometimes when you read poetry you can you know there's a title and there's a poem but <laughs> you know, I don't know if the poem is actually the two pages or just the one page so but uh, oh. because oh right have such the, the the pages have such different formats to them but anyways, I will read the two because I think they kind of go together okay. regardless. Sure. And I know we're kind of at the hour mark soon, but I will read it because I think it's, <laughs> it's really good. And the title kind of says, On the City's Steps. Okay. Uh, but I don't think it really, it doesn't really, to me, say anything about the actual poem that, that follows it, but I'll read it. He saw the sun move around her and wanted to say, I see flesh tones. His hand gripped the cold steel rail, sent his fingers trembling back to his face where he felt for some trace of her. He looked for an historical mention, some reference of her blinding light, her effect on an empire. He heard that wounded man would cry out at the mere whisper of her name. So it has started, his seed planted. Back where the wind touches dry stone and water, he wanders endlessly in effort to com- to comfort her. The marriage of canvas, language, and brushstroke, all there on molded steps in the city, where he would love her and let the world have exactly what it needed. If she were blinded by rebellious light, who would fix her hair and place entries in her diary? Who would we, who would be dutiful and abandoned? whatever made them comfortable only to read to her and smooth her reluctant hands. He needed to imagine her helpless without her sought-after judicial strength. Only then would he be sure of his place. His voice would become a religion, and she would reunite her mythology by leaning closer to his breasts, leaning closer to his heroic hunger. He pleads with her, listen closely, these hearts that open and close so carefully are not meant for loving exercise. They fit so few of us. Wow. So it's, it's, you have to really like concentrate to the words because it's quite a, the beginning part sort of really frames her as this sort of historic creature, uh, you know, kind of like a Joan of Arc kind of character. Sure. Mythological, yeah. And, um, and then sort of, it's sort of him experiencing that and kind of going, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm totally lost. She's like, I'm totally in love. And he's trying to plant his seed for her that, mm-hmm. you know, hey, you know, look at me. I'm over here kind of thing. And what I find it really fascinating is like talking about he's trying to find his entry point. Like what, what, is, what is the way that he can connect with her so that she would love him, right? So just really... And going the route of, you know, she just, if maybe if she was, you know, not so strong and not so heroic, then I could have a place here, you know? Right. Anyway, so just that whole notion. And then 
and, and that his struggle to find where he could fit into her life because she had such a vision of where she wanted to be and she's you know in, in the character of the of the series of poems and also the characters in the movie uh, about her being so strong to strong-willed and wanting to go uh, and be, follow her path to become a nun right and so trying to find his way into that wow anyway so it's just uh, a nice encapsulation of that whole story wow how it starts so anyways that was a beautiful poem if it was one or two it was beautiful <laughs> i think it was one i think it was one because you need that first bit to frame his be her his experience to see her for the first time or to experience her beauty for the first time but it being such a strong beauty and then you need to flip it around and say well she just needs to somehow not be strong and then i can come in there and be the hero and that's hmm. my way in hmm. so you kind of need both sides i kind of read it five times and six times <laughs> and try to think okay is it because the in the, when they read it as part of the movie they only read that second page they don't have that front but i guess the when you think about change inspiring a movie script from a book of poetry the whole movie arc is about that first page really right and right. that you only need that second page to sort of hint at what he's trying to do or what his struggle is i love poems like that um it you know it, it's it's kind of deep but at the same time it's um it's not like your typical type of verse I like how it's just trying right. to trying to get at some some different things, but um, it's not exactly like rhyming every line, like you know what I mean. It's, right. I like poems like that, like that you and I know that some poets that we've been kind of getting into, courtesy of Bill Moyers, and mm-hmm. they're more on that kind of wavelength, which I really like. So I so that was amazing. Thanks for uh, reading that one for everybody. Uh, it's a nice little book too. Yeah. Uh, I, I dig that a lot. That I'm, I'd love to see that movie, actually. If you recommend it, I'm watching it. <laughs> I'll lend it to you. You get me time out, and then I'll get you love and sandwiches. <laughs> You'll get me the book. That's awesome. Okay. So now yours. Yes. So, um... I, I'm going to read this uh, poem, which is actually kind of short. Uh, it's... It's a poem written by François Villon, which was a poet from the 1400s, uh, France, obviously. Um, so I kind of, um, I kind of got into this because I, I, I was kind of looking at older poets and stuff, older French poets, and, uh, I realized that he was one of many poets that one of my favorite composers, Claude Debussy, um, used to write songs with their poems as text. So I thought, oh, okay, well, I never really, you know, I read the text while listening to the songs, but I never really thought much about some of them. Mm. So I just came across this poem because I kind of like the way it sounded. Sometimes that's why I like poems, just because sure. they, they sound, the way the the lines kind of sound, almost as if it's like a, not just a rhythm, but, like I'm, I'm not as good reading poetry as you are. Oh. But... <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> um, but anyway, this this poem is is actually uh, I think I mentioned this to you before. He wrote it 
for someone else to give to, uh, to read to his wife. Right. Or his yes. fiance, I believe. Yes, you mentioned that. Yeah, so that person is Robert Destutville. And, um, you know, we'll post this and you can read it to uh, all the people out there. But it's actually not long. And um, the, the, the person is Amboise uh, Delors. Delors. And I'll just show you here quickly. Um, you can't see it out there. But... Um, the first, you see how the first letter of each line for the first two stanzas are, oh, right, was, yeah. are is yeah. her name, which I thought was interesting. Like the first name, the first letter is A for Amboise, and then so that's the first letter of the first line, and then so on till we get through her name. So anyway, there's just four quick stanzas, and um, uh, he, this poet was like a kind of a thief, a vagabond. He was always getting in trouble and he actually wrote this in a ser with a series of other poems in this big grand testament poem which is like a big one he wrote in prison oh. so anyway wow. um i love the backstory this is great well it's it's uh i'm glad because it, yeah it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting because this actually is looked at as one of his lesser poems so that's another reason why i was kind of interested in it nice. <laughs> so anyway um so this one's called uh le testament balade pour robert d'estudville or in other words, um, from the Testament ballad, uh, a ballad for Robert Destutville, so he could read it to his, uh, his loved one. Um, so anyway, uh, so here it goes. At dawn of day, when falcon shakes his wing, mainly from pleasure and from noble usage, blackbirds to shake theirs then as they sing, receiving their mates, mingling their plumage. Oh, as the... As the desires it lights in me now rage, I'd offer you joyously what befits the lover. See how love has written this very page, even for this end as we come together. Doubtless, as my heart's lady you'll have been, entirely now, till death consumes my age, laurel so sweet, for my cause now fighting, olive so noble, removing all bitter, all bitter foliage. Reason does not wish me unused to owing, even as I'm to agree with this wish forever, duty to you, but rather grow used to serving, even for this end are we come together. And what's more, when sorrow's beating down on me through fate's incessant rage, your sweet glance its malice is assuaging, nor more or less than wind blows smoke away. As in your field I plant, I lose no grain, for the harvest resembles me, and ever God orders me to plow and sow again. Even for this end are we come together. Princess, listen to this I now maintain, that my heart and yours will not dissever. So much I presume of you and claim even for this end, we are, are we come together? That's it. Uh, so that you'll, you may have noticed the last line of each stanza is the same. Uh, it's kind of, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, there's obviously expression of love and stuff, but it, it's done in a way that's almost 
detached. I don't know. Like I get a detached feeling when I read it. Obviously, because he was reading it for uh, writing it for someone else to read it. Right. Um. And it's I don't know. It's just a lot of cool imagery. Um. It doesn't, you know, always rhyme in in the best way. But right. I I just like. I just like the sound of it. It's more of a like an aesthetic thing for me. This one than than anything mm. else. I, d- I actually don't really have much else to mm. say to dissect it. But you well, it's funny because thoughts. it was uh, you you said it was it was kind of the imagery. It's so clear around sort of the the bird imagery. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, where's it going? And then it, and then it moves away from that. And yeah. then eventually it goes to like the fields, and I'm like, oh, it's like harvest. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and so it, was, it is quite uh, varied in that way and frenetic in some respects, right? Um, and I think the backstory is really helpful because you, you, you do sense a little bit of detachedness to it. Yeah. And I'm like, I, it's so interesting. Like, it's sort of like when you see these really bad cheesy comedies where someone is really bad with women and has someone in an earpiece telling them what to say <laughs> and it's never coming out the right way and... And you could be the best lyricist, poet, uh, orator, and still it has to come naturally to someone else. Right. And this, it's communication is really a fundamental thing between two people, right? And you insert a third person, and you're never going to get to that same authenticity. Uh, but it's fascinating. It's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. it's cool. I, I like it because really nothing else... The way he writes poems, and his other poems are like this too, like, they're not written in the same way typical poems are from the, like, the Middle Ages. Mm. I mean, he's writing in a very, I mean, it's obviously the translation. Right. But he's writing in a way that was, I think, pretty, uh, like, a sh- like a sharp left from, like, turn from. Right. If you take any poem from any poet at that time, like, I think it's quite different. It doesn't seem that old. It seems like something that was written maybe in the 1800s or something, you know what I mean? Well, you think there's, you know, if you if you look even more into the backstory, I wonder if someone was podcasting way back in the day, if this, <laughs> you know, poet had passed on, would they talk about the, 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 the moment when, you know, he introduced this kind of different way of doing the art than, let's say, a Ravi Shankar did and... Dave Brubeck did, right? And right? So it's interesting to sort of have this poem in that kind of uh, style um, in the same breath that we're talking about uh, Dave Brubeck and Ravi Shankar. Uh, yeah. It's kind of neat. Awesome. I'm glad you liked it. Neat. Uh, okay, so, well... So uh, shall we end and wrap this up with predictions and resolutions? Yeah, well... Do you actually have a prediction at all? Like, no, what's... no. <laughs> yeah, I'm like thinking, I don't really have much I, predictions other than but I think there will be hockey <laughs> I think yeah we'll see even stuff like that I think before what we had done is you know we might predict oh you know something that maybe happened this year how it will resolve next year or whatever or politics or right I think um oh man I don't yeah. even know anything I don't know to have predictions will they jump over the fiscal cliff yeah, that was one that came to mind. I thought, you know, that's just... They're going to come up with some deal that's not going to actually be the answer to anything. It'll just postpone, you know, 
Oh, no, figuring no. it out. This is what I'm going to ask you. Okay. Is Christy Clark going to win the election next year? Oh, right. Say it now. I... On the record. You know what? I'm glad you brought that up. Because I had thought about that earlier and I, I had forgotten about it. Um, I somehow think she will not win. That's my gut too. Yeah. I smell it in the air. For no yes. other reason than yes. how people are jockeying in jockeying positions around industry. Like I just I think about that whole thing where Adrian Dix was meeting with forestry executives yeah. at a whatever hundreds of dollar fundraiser event or something where you can meet him, right? Yeah. And people are packing that that room, that con- con- convention center room or whatever. And you just know when everyone in industries are trying to hedge their bets, like, there's something happening. Like, there's something's in the air. I I think that, you know, they're Christie's side. They're just like, we're going to stay the course. It's going to create jobs. And in the end, that will help us. It's like, well, I don't think it's going to be enough. I think, you know, not all her fault, but I think there's obviously some stuff she's responsible for. But I think they goofed up in so many different areas even after this HST debacle that I think, you know, I think we're, I think we're hearing more from the people who don't want her in power. I right. think we're hearing from those people more. I think there's a lot of people who just would just, no matter how bad the liberals mess up, that they're just never will put an NDP in. Right. Or vote NDP rather. Um, I think that it's just not enough. I think, uh, I mean, I, I, I could go on and on, but I think she just doesn't have the confidence of enough people to to, to stay stay on. So, okay, let's put... This is interesting. Um, so let's say Chrissy Clark loses right. the election. The NDP yeah. wins the election, but she wins her seat, which I no doubt she will. Uh, Do you... Because oh, I'm not so sure about that either. I don't think she. I don't think she'll win it by a lot, uh, but I think she'll win it. Because um, she barely won it last time. Yeah. And I think people are who don't want her in are emboldened by that. Yeah, that's but, true. But she could win it. She could. I. I just. I don't know. I know my neighborhood. Yeah. I. I, I yeah. I, <laughs> I. I just think she's gonna win it. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, I think if it was a different. Um, I think David Ebby is going to run again, I guess, mm-hmm, I think. Mm-hmm. And a very strong candidate, but I think if it was more of a of a um, Kitsilano social activist person, yeah. then that would be much more trouble, for sure, for Quincy Clark, okay. I think. So you think it's him? Um, not gonna... I, I think he's a strong candidate when he came really close. He did, yeah. Uh, and I think he will come close again, but I just think it would be... If let's say, um, um, you know, another candidate, um, if Mel Lehan ran, um, who was just that classic, just really great candidate, great story, uh, and you know he lost to Gordon Campbell like a landslide, not not badly, but he still significantly lost. Yeah. Uh, if he ran, I think that and knowing that people sniffing Christy Clark's weak, yeah, he would win. Okay. Because I think people would be emboldened by the the potential to oust her, and two people would just think he just 
he knows our community and yeah. he knows our constituency. Like, I think that would really would be a no brainer. Um, even if he doesn't have that same connection to the neighborhood. Sure. Um, but I think it's going to be close. But my, she'll still take it. I think she will take it. But my question to you is: Will she stick? Will she stick around and be an opposition leader, or will she just quit again? No, I think she'll stick around. Really? I I think so. If okay. she wins her seat, I think she'll stick around. Interesting. I don't think she's she's been premier. I think that her thinking will be: Well, I'll be back. Hmm. We'll get dicks out next time, and I'll come back. I I honestly I think she has. I don't want to call her an egotist, but I think she has too much ego to not want to get that back. Because she was already... It's different when, before, you know, obviously she came out of politics because of her son, wanted to raise her son. You know, everyone respected that. She had, obviously, a bumpy ride as education minister, yet she was deputy, deputy premier. But that's different than having gone through this, you know coronation essentially to be liberal leader right uh and because she's been in power for what a year and a bit yeah one year that um oh almost two years i guess 2011 she came in oh i guess yeah yeah so i think having tasted it she won't walk away so easily interesting and i think she won't think it's her that's why uh, she's not in you know what I mean? Okay. I think she'll think, you know what? The public has spoken. They clearly, you know, want a break from us. A break. Right. But, you know, we're going to come back hard, and I'm going to get back in there. I think that's how she thinks. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Of course, I won't support her. I've made that clear to uh, one of her MLAs, that if they don't reject the um Enbridge pipeline outright i will not vote for her or her mla whoever's in her writing or my writing um and that's just me that's just my because i'm particularly angry about that whole business that i uh have taken a stand in my own way on that that doesn't mean i'm gonna vote for the ndp though because <laughs> i Obviously, I have issues with the NDP. Uh, so I don't know what I'm going to do. I haven't really thought about it. But that's obviously a conversation for closer sure. to May. Sure. But uh, my prediction is that she, uh, she... You're right. She probably may win her seat. But I don't think uh, her... I think too much damage has been done in a lot of different areas with her government to win it. Even Even with the next five months to roll by, I don't think they can... They can get it back. Um, okay. That's my prediction. Okay. So oh, a solution. Or do you have another prediction? One other prediction. Okay. I think Justin Trudeau will win the liberal, federal liberal uh, leadership, which I think won't necessarily help the liberals. They might spike. They've been spiking a bit in polls, but I don't think, I don't think he'll be taken seriously just yet. As, as liberal leader. I think if you was going to be liberal leader, it has to be now, while there is no chance of an election yeah. in the first two or three years of him being a, a liberal leader. Sure. I think he needs a couple of years, and especially it's great for him not even to be the opposition leader. That's right. Just yeah. to to really solidify his point of view, because actually, I, other than thinking that 
prime ministers from Quebec are great. I don't really know any point of view that he has on anything. Well, that's what a lot of people are saying. And so I think if he can win it and ride that Trudeau name to yeah. fame, which is fine, uh, yeah. then show us the goods over the next two or three years, then I think he's actually in a great position for the next election. So That's interesting. Okay, well, we'll see what happens with uh, BC politics and the federal liberal leadership race. Yeah. Okay. So we have a resolution. Do you have any resolutions for yourself? Uh, me is to just um, uh, do even more uh, staying fit with the exercise and running. Resolution just... isn't about doing more of the same. Oh, okay. No, then, uh, <laughs> no fair enough, fair enough. I think, um, I think maybe just undertake oh. even greater challenges. Uh, you know, that sounds so lame. I just mean in a fitness way, like, you know, we're going to be Tough Mudder, we're going to do this and that, but we already know that, that's not really resolution. So, no, I don't really have any. (laughs) Uh, Well, and you and I were talking about this the other week, and uh, my resolution is definitely to take more chances. Uh, My resolution last year was to not be stupid, and inadvertently that meant me basically playing it safe for the year in a just a, in a cerebral sense, <laughs> sure, not in sure. a in, you know, not in a not holistic sense, sense, but yeah, yeah. um and so doing things like tough mutter is definitely one of those things. Uh you know, and uh hopefully it will materialize in a whole bunch of different ways, just putting out that energy that I'm ready to not sit on the back burner a lot is yeah. helpful. So I don't know where that's gonna go, but uh, that's definitely my resolution. Perfect. Yeah. Well, great. Well, that's that's. And hopefully, that end. means being more fit. So. <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll we'll get you there. Yeah. You will get yourself there. A little little helping hand, but you will get yourself there. We'll it's see. gonna be exciting. We'll see. Okay. We'll talk about that when we come to December two thousand thirteen and talk yes. about how all that went. Oh my god. <laughs> I know. Another year. Uh, okay. So awesome. So we did a good job, but we, a little bit, little bit over, well, a lot over, but hey, we hadn't done it in six months. That's right. <laughs> and now we got to go eat. Yes, I am famished. Yeah, me too. Well, we got a lot off our chest today, so that, that actually burns a lot of calories. Perfect. So uh, let's get those calories back in us. And, so I want um, you close us off since I started okay. this off. Uh, good. Well, I think uh, that was a good wrap up to 2012. Uh, we will see you guys in 2013, hopefully sooner then june yes uh we'll do another one hopefully within the next couple months i think that's safe to say that is safe to say perfect okay we'll, uh, yeah <laughs> and hopefully some you know some more positive news to come out of the uh world events yes. in the next uh, little while so i'm i know you and i are both hoping so i think i think many of us are and yeah okay well we'll sign off so um happy new year everybody happy new year uh and uh in, in, enjoy, indulge, but uh, be safe at the same time, and uh, we'll we'll uh, we'll be back on your airwaves in in the near future. And find us online and all that sort of stuff on Facebook too. Absolutely, we have our Facebook group, and you can find us on iTunes as well. The Dot Matrix, uh, the Dot Matrix.com. Okay. <laughs>